2: Hello and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and tonight I, I wanted to do something slightly different to the usual format. You know if you're a follower of the podcast that from time to time I do interviews and normally the, the, the topic areas are um, very pertain very, very closely to some fairly kind of well-trodden paths that we, we, we do on, on, on here looking at Uh, international history um, particularly uh, 20th century history as it pertains to things like uh, war Uh, but one of the the key areas that I feel is always overlooked always neglected um, and is of enormous enormous importance to the way we live our lives now is the uh, the question of the accumulation of media power in the 20th century uh, and the 21st century, in fact. Now, you might be listening from the UK, you might be further afield, uh, but wherever you are, there is a version of this story playing out. um, Whether you are in the the anglophone world or somewhere else, there is a version of this story. um, And here we talk about Britain's now broken system of politics, and the effect that media ownership and media consolidation has had on creating that. Okay, Okay. so um, I'm introducing um, tonight uh, to the Explaining History podcast uh, Mick Wright, uh, a journalist and writer who um, has a, a daily newsletter that I subscribe to, Conquest of the Useless, which um, passes a, a kind of a, a critical eye on, uh, on on the media uh, and um, the the kind of the interplay between media and british politics now the, the reason why uh, I wanted to focus on on this this evening as I was discussing with Mick before we, we started was that um, a greatly overlooked aspect of british public life uh, and i 'm sure you can find this around, around the rest of the world is The extent of and growth of media power in Great Britain. And uh, Mick has kindly come on this evening to talk a little bit about how we've reached the state of affairs that we are when um, media power is concentrated so tightly in a small number of hands in the United Kingdom. Um, Thank you, Mick. Um, So, uh, at the moment, of course. The, um, the British print media, um, obviously and, and di- digital media, um, has a huge amount of sway with, um, the, uh, the, the, with, with the government of the day. And throughout the, the last hundred years, really, there's been a kind of an established pattern of this, hasn't there?
3: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you, you look back to the, the kind of media barons of, of the early 20th century, uh, you know, some of whom's descendants are still... Uh, operating uh, within the media environment now, if you look at Lord Rothermere, uh, the current Lord Rothermere and and his his um his predecessors, his his uh, father and great and grandfather, his grandfather being the Rothermere of um, hurrah for the black shirts. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, you look back to those days, and and there was certainly um uh, already a sense a sense of these powerful media barons who who, who could who could Put uh, pressure on on governments who could for, who could um, ensure that the interests of of their class were uh, well served by government through using um, the newspapers they had as, as as a power base. And then you look, you know, you go down you go down through into the in, into the much later on out of the fifties into the sixties into the seventies, and you look at um, Rupert Murdoch coming in to the UK um, in the late in the late sixties but really was you know he he really gets his power in the uk when he is allowed to take over the times and sunday times something that competition regulators had been preventing before but which the thatcher government allowed because murdoch was a big cheerleader for the thatcher government and at that point that's the point when uh, uh, consolidation of ownership goes you know re- really happens in a big way and in yeah. recent years we've seen even more consolidation of ownership because reach which is a sort of um amorphous mass of of local and national newspapers which used to be trinity mirror owns um a huge number of papers now because the um because the uh papers that had been owned by richard desmond who's moved Mm -hmm. out of the newspaper they're now owned by that so it's, it's it's very um condensed and that means as well that you you end up having um a very narrow political perspective among papers, really. Yeah. I mean, people would still say that The Observer and The Guardian are, are of the left, but I, I think possibly quite a lot of people who are more of the left than them would argue that those papers are really more, uh, at best, a centri- you know, are centre-left mm-hmm. at, at, at best, but more yeah. just kind of a pure centrist paper. So, so the, the plurality of views has gone as well, um, cool. and that's a problem. Sure. So the the basically the centre of gravity in terms of, of discourse has moved to
2: to the right. The um the, the kind of the line that um, editors of things like the Sun always say is that they, they don't set agendas; they reflect them. They reflect views that are, are already there. Um, and the um, sort of various kind of you know media theorists
3: would uh, would dispute that. Is there any actual validity in that argument? I mean, it's, it's, manifestly, it's manifestly untrue. Like, it, 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 so at a lower level, you, what you hear a lot from columnists is, no one tells me what to write. But, you know, I, I, and I've, I've used this clip in a couple of newsletters since I started doing a newsletter in um, June last year. But, you know, there's an interview from the... the um, mid 90s between um when andrew Marr was still a newspaper editor but was doing a, uh, an interview show for the bbc and he's he's interviewing noam chomsky and and, and andrew mar says yeah but i don't um nobody tells me you know i like i haven't the you know i, I i'm able to have my own opinions mm-hmm. uh, but but noam chomsky says yeah but if you had different opinions you wouldn't be allowed to sit where you're sitting so the reality about it is, is a the newspapers select people with opinions that fit The prevailing editorial tone of the paper, but also when you're within a newspaper, you know I've worked in newspapers. I I I was a I was a sort of token centre soft left person for the Telegraph for for a you know short while writing on their comment desk as a freelancer, and and although I was allowed to write broadly left kind of things, there's a you know in your head where the limits are. You don't have to have the limits told to you. And when it comes to the editors, okay, well Rupert Murdoch, we do know will tell editors this was crap, that was crap, change this, change that. Rothermere would argue that he didn't tell Paul Dacre to do, you know, what to do when Paul Dacre was editor of the Daily Mail. But editors know why they've been hired and what their proprietors want. You know, I I guess, you know, the best way, in one way you could look at editors and say they're a bit like football managers, right? The, The proprietor, they know what is required to make the proprietor happy and you keep your job as long as you keep the proprietor happy. Yeah. Okay.
2: And so they—they—they—they are—they're good at understanding the subtext. There is this, yes. um, you know, a, a great deal written in various biographies of, of Rupert Murdoch, particularly um, about his relationship with, you know, the, the, the British establishment um, that he felt in about 1968 snubbed um, because he didn't receive a, a knighthood, and he'd published, you know, Christine Keeler's diaries and. Um, he always has presented himself as this sort of slightly more plebeian kind of character, uh, this um, uh, outsider who is not one of the one of the toffs. Um, I mean, looking into into his biography, there's you know there's a big kind of question marks o- over that claim. But I mean, how far do you think anybody who uh, operates that sort of in that sort of
3: role, that sort of position, can really claim to be a political outsider? Well, I mean, it, you know, in one sense, Murdoch is literally an outsider, isn't he? Because he's in Austra- he, he, he's he, he was born in Australia. He's this Australian who comes over to the UK and then, luckily, to the US and becomes a massive power broker in these countries where he is literally an outsider. But in another way, he, you know, his father was a newspaper owner. He he came he, he in a sense he, he shares he has something in common with Trump, which is although actually unlike Trump, Murdoch has made a vastly bigger success of the business that was you know that he that he gained. He did start out he started out with newspaper he started out with newspapers that his father had owned prior you know yeah. previously. So he you no know, in that sense he's he's not. Um, he is what he is. Comes from an elite class within <clears throat> Australia, but then you, you it would be fair to say that the that the Briton of the of the late sixties would have looked at a Antipodean upstart like him, and it didn't really. So you know, because to the rich in 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 England particularly, it doesn't matter if you're you don't you've got to be more than just rich. You know, yeah. to the upper classes, it doesn't matter how rich Rupert Murdoch is. He'll always be. Pled because he's sort of new money, you know, because yeah. his money doesn't come from, you know, isn't hundreds of years in the making. Yeah. Um. But is he part of the elite? Yes, because he he because he has power to make the elite the the, the elite jump for him because they understand the power of his media operations. Yeah. And he the the papers he has now are much less influential. But you you've got to look at the way he's now moved more strongly into radio um is looking to launch a new news channel now that he divested himself out of sky news which he had to do um mm-hmm. in the in in the sale to fox of other properties and stuff um but he uh he still built he still has this media power base he's building more you know he's <laughs> just building it in tv and radio now
2: there was um i mean a moment um at around the time of the phone hacking scandal um, and the the Levison inquiry where there seemed to be a kind of the, the glimmer of a possibility of some kind of regulation some kind of curb on, on the power not just of the uh, the Murdoch Empire but of um, the, the right wing at the right side of Free, Fleet Street and in, um, in general
3: what happened there why did that not occur I have this thing where I've I, I compare um, the media and the way the media works to professional wrestling and in professional wrestling, you, you you have two, two broad types of character, right? You have faces and heels and like a face is a good guy and a heel is a bad guy. Well, well, uh, they also have this thing called a work, right? Which is like a kind of thing where you, you, it, it seems like it's real, but it's not. It's a kind of it's a thing that you're doing to to give the audience a certain impression. And for me, the Leveson inquiry. I, I, and this is not to say that that Lord Leveson was not taking it seriously, or those, or, or the 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 legal minds that were involved in Leveson weren't taking it seriously. But ultimately, the government wasn't. Government never really what they wanted to do was they wanted the. Um, the problem of phone hacking off the table, and they wanted to have been seen to do something. And we mm-hmm. all you know this in politics. There is a there's there can be a big gulf between being seen to do something and doing something.
1: You yeah. know,
3: and and that's for me. It was it was a work. It was a it was never going to be fully undertaken and Leveson too, which was going to look at the relationship between the press and the police never happened. And, you know, and, and, uh, and bribes to police and bribes to public officials and all that kind of stuff. that would have been, could have been sensationally damaging. Right. And it never happened. Just went in the long grass. My sense at the time was that was kind of verging on Birmingham six
2: territory when that you would, that those sorts of kind of, uh,
3: uh, those those sorts of revelations would would come
2: out, you know.
3: Yeah, that, and and that would have been a lot of the meat of the material. But the other thing to to remember is, look, Rebecca Brooks was, um, you know, uh, take went to court, was found innocent of various of, of various charges around the phone hacking stuff. Uh, for la- basically, they, they there was a lack of evidence around that, and that couldn't be proved that she knew certain things. And and look, a, a smart. Uh, Pushing her to one side for a second. One thing that, that um, smart operators in many industries know is don't put your name in the emails. Don't write stuff down. If you're, going to, if you're asking for or discussing tricky things or things that might be on the edge of what you should be doing, you don't write it down. Uh, and I think some people in those organizations made the mistake of writing things down and others didn't. Yeah. Um, but look, she's now back as the chief executive of News UK. So, you, you know, the big fish didn't get caught in Levison. Little, drunken, screwed up, Horrible little reporter guys, Neville Thurlbecks of this world, you know um Paul, whatever his name was, I forget his name now there's another reporter who was forever on the t v absolutely drunk, just admitting all the stuff he'd done and going mm. yeah but nobody really cared, you know as if that was going to protect him somehow. The little fish got done, the blaggers got done, all those kind of people, but the executive level didn't get touched, and when murdoch said uh, said um in the parliament to the parliamentary um committee after level so you know oh, this is the most humble day of my my life and all this kind of stuff it, it's just for show it's just, yeah. nothing happened to Rupert Murdoch he got a pie in the face from Johnny Marbles at that you know custard pie that was about that that's the worst thing that happened to him and he had to shut the news of the world but what happened when he shut the news of the world was two weeks later what opened up but the sun on Sunday which is the news of the world um, you know without the balls to admit what it really is yeah what do you think
2: now um here we are in uh, in in uh, 2021 um what is the almost the, the 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 prospects of a functioning democracy in great britain in, in the shadow of this immense kind of accumulation of media power
3: yeah i think it's well i think it's bro- i think we are operating in a broken in a very broken system but it's not just media parrots because it's because think tank when you have a government that is led by someone like boris johnson who has really doesn't really believe in much other than the accrual of power for power's sake doesn't really have any um policies consistent policy. he's not a conviction politician like you look at some i think the last conviction politician we had was I don't know, John Major, possibly Margaret Thatcher, possibly not that I liked the things that were their convictions, but they sort of had a vision of what they wanted to achieve. Whereas yeah. you look at you look at Tony Blair's government and and the way he worked with the media, becoming Rupert, the godfather to Rupert Murdoch's children and making a deal before the election, the 97 election to make sure that Murdoch was uh, on side and in return. um you know, making sure that not too much was looked into about the accumulation of power within Sky TV, etc. That's the problem, because what's happened is we've ended up with these governments that ideologically uh, have ideology, but no beliefs. And because of that, you get think tanks. And that's where the policies come from. And the think tanks are paid for by shadowy dark money. And the think tanks opinions on things are pushed into the newspapers that then, Feedback into the in, into the government. So you have you have a system based around you know people working for their interests in these very shadowy ways, and then you have newspapers and newspaper columnists who who um, express effectively the opinions of the think tanks where all their mates work, where they probably end up getting jobs. You've got people from government who immediately get jobs in the media. You've got you know a, a great example would be Stig Abel, a man who was who started out at the Press Complaints Authority. You know, got a job at the Sun as man. Now, is you know, is 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 a, a big um, you know, uh, cheese at um, Times Radio. And the reason he's there is because you know, he he um, he was a company man and he did what the company wanted, and he he was at the Sun long enough doing what they needed there. And they gave him the Times Literary Supplement with no interview as a kind of reward for being a good company man. So, when you look at this stuff, you see that we have a broken media because mm-hmm. people who of talent. Sometimes get in, yeah. but otherwise it's his company men and women, yeah. And and of course the 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 one entity that we haven't
2: talked about is the BBC, um, which seems to operate as a, a kind of an amplifier for most of what well, most of everything that we have talked about. How how has how has the BBC become um, the, this? As I said, this kind of loud hailer for newspapers
3: like the Daily Mail. Well, I like to cleave. I like to cleave, to cleave the BBC into two parts, really, because I think you've got BBC News, which is I, I believe is fundamentally broken, and then on the and then you've got BBC Entertainment and factual and all this other kind of stuff like it still makes great documentaries it still makes a lot of great entertainment there's a lot of great stuff on its radio and so i try to you know cleave it into like that because yeah. i i think otherwise you can get into this thing where You know, coming from the left, I I think that BBC News is broken. But then on the other hand, do I want the BBC to be destroyed as the right wants it to be? No. So to kind of try to find the way to get to that. But why are they being the way they are? Well, it's a couple of reasons. One is you've got a lot of ex um, uh, people who were conservatives at university who claim now that they don't have any of that ideology anymore but i i think they do yes. someone like nick robinson who was a young who, you know was chair of young conservatives at oxford he says well those opinions are gone now i don't have that anymore and you think yeah but it's what interested you politically when you were young and it was a formative experience and then i listen to your questioning and i listen to the way that you view the world and mm-hmm. the structures the way you believe the world to be structured and it
2: it comes back to the way you see the world. I mean, it comes back to that interview with Chomsky and Ma that you were talking about, yeah. uh, uh, about the set of kind of institutional assumptions um, and values that
3: um, are shared widely amongst BBC journalists. Yeah, like, landlords are good, right? Landlords are good. The monarchy shouldn't be questioned. Um, you know, uh, prisons are good. The police is good like always oh, just just I, there's no you can't question that no. you know what the police says is basically true mm-hmm. which is which is bizarre as well because you have bbc news journalists that i know are very smart people there that they're, they're investigative people there are people who encounter time and time again examples of the police lying but when you get the police on the today program their view is all pretty much swallowed you know whole cloth yeah. The, other, the other issue is, uh, the I- I- problem is that BBC News feels incredibly terrified and the BBC in general feels terrified that the Conservative government are going to basically take it apart. So what they keep trying to do is sort of bending over backwards to um, be amenable to the right in the hope that the crocodile will not eat them. But the crocodile just thinks, this is great. We get, they're saying what we want the, the, them to say, but also we're still going to eat them. Because yeah. we still hate them, so it's not. There's no. There's no way to win on that one. No, and um, it, it, it then it, it
2: then alienates all those who would naturally come to the BBC's defence. Um, and the uh, the the issue as as well with this, this kind of merry-go-round of columnists who hop between. Um, national newspaper columns and presenting TV shows like Andrew Marr, for example, or or Robert Peston, um, you know, there's overlap, isn't there?
3: They're doing the same, both gigs at the same time. Yeah, Um, it is. and the one thing you've got to think about is like, so Tim Davy, the new, um, relatively new DG, uh, Director General of the BBC, came in in September last year. But So I would say still relatively new. He was a Conservative Party council candidate. The new chairman uh, of the BBC uh, gave £425,000 to the Conservative Party during the Cameron era. So you've got two uh, Tory-aligned people leading the BBC now. And uh, not that Labour didn't do the same. Labour, like, Gavin Davis was put in by the BBC and he was married to Sue Nye, who was a Gordon Brown advisor. So, like, both sides have done this in the past. But the problem with this as well is you have Tim Davies saying, we must be impartial. And then you have people like Robert, Pe- like um, uh, Justin, Justin Webb, for instance, presenter of the Today programme, writing for the Daily Mail, or Andrew Marr writing for the Daily Mail, you know, or on the other side, on ITV, you have Robert Peston writing for the Spectator. How can these people claim to be impartial when they only ever write for nakedly right-leaning publications?
2: You know, I mean, this, you, you don't get them in Socialist Worker, do you?
3: You know, no. So, I, I mean, if someone if someone wrote an op-ed for the for the Socialist Worker, or or um, or even wrote an op-ed in the Guardian of you know, it would be Guido Fawkes would blow his mind and it would be look at this lefty blah blah blah, blah. but you never get but it's because also partly it's a a, a a linguistic thing i think because the right have this thing lefty right and they just throw that like that's the ultimate insult you get look at this lefty this snowflake wokeist, right but the they are they not op- opposite when we say like you say oh he's of the right or he's right wing right and they go yeah i am and it doesn't he doesn't offend them right no. but lefty because of the media, particularly from the 70s and 80s, bashing down and saying, lefty is bad, lefty is bad, lefty is bad. There's, you know, an a, accretion of, of feeling that that's a bad thing to be called, you know? Yes. There's, a, there's something really interesting about this um, uh, Tory
2: um, loathing of the, of the BBC. If you kind of dial back to the 1950s, what it meant to be a Tory was the kind of the, 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 the defender of the pillars of the state, you know, the civil service, the army, the judiciary, um, the monarchy. And one of the kind of the institutions of state throughout the 20th century has kind of been the BBC. And, you know, the fact that the BBC weighed in against the general strike, for example, and done most of uh, most kind of soft propagandary kind of stuff that the government has wanted throughout its existence. It it tells you something really integral about conservatism, that wanting to wanting to rip apart this and, and various other aspects of the, of, of, the establishment of the state is, is an article now an article of faith for them
3: I hope, yeah and but i think know. i i think partly it's to do with the fact that both the conservative party and the labor party have ceased to be buckets that um reasonably describe what they contain anymore mm-hmm. like in, 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 if you look at the schism that happened around um trying to push a brexit deal through and that you know that where, where dominic cummings um, encourage Boris Johnson to to cut out uh, what you would call the more wet Tories from the party, right? Mm-hmm. There, there is, and even now there is a much more hardline. There are these hardline groups on the back benches who are even more headbanger than anyone in the cabinet. You know, the the, the, the common sense group and the COVID recovery group and the, all these these kind of these groups. So that party's kind of broken, right? And then with 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 Labour, Labour. In the title, being you know being the party of labour, the party of the workers, it's not anymore. It's the party of the um, permanent managerial class now yeah. under under Keir Starmer, and there was a kind of a, a bit of a swerve back under Corbyn to an attempt to to be more of a you know um, uh, party member led working class movement to be fair of course or, or a worker movement because the other thing that is difficult is now and i was trying not to go too far off the media but the other thing that's difficult now is you look at the way the media talks about who the working class are and they still cued to this notion that the working classes is, is um is white guys in northern pit towns right yeah when when the working class is just as much a um an asian guy who 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 works for delivery yeah. right that's a work but but the papers cannot think of the gig workers they have to give them a special different name gig workers than to, to than to see them as working class right because yeah. they don't like you know they're not kind of um how the patronizing notion of the working class in the media works yeah. and, uh, you know uh, just a good example for me is when is when someone like Dan Hodges whose mother is the oscar winning actress <laughs> and whose father was a pillar of the labour movement and and, 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 and a big activist, tells people uh, what working class voters think. Dan Hodges hasn't met a working class person who wasn't cleaning his loo in a very long time. Mm. But the communist just assumes that they know what the working class is, and to them the working class is the working class of, at best, the early 70s. Well, there's a
2: fanta- there's a peculiar linguistics that you see in
3: tabloid newspapers where
2: um, they talk about criminals as lags and um, you know uh, sort of, sort of uh, pop stars having saucy romps and things. It's the kind of language that nobody has said uh, out outside of George and Mildred, um, and and it and this this stuff is all written by graduates. It's all written by you know educated. Middle class people, um, and it's not they're, they're, you know there's nobody wearing a flat cap with grease smears on their face.
3: Um, yeah. so but so but like when you enter somewhere like the Sun, they just you 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 just take on this lingua franca that operates there. So um yeah you're right and the other thing is they constantly like currently they're running a campaign called jab's army right which is obviously a play on dad's army like obviously it's repeated a lot but it, but it but he didn't really have it hasn't had cultural cachet really since the 70s and you'll re, you'll notice they reference a lot things from the 70s and 80s and it's sort of kind it's weird. odd it's like it is a kind of time warp thing when i um, break down newspaper front pages and mark them up. I always have this category tabloidism and it 's like it 's just this certain way of talking mm. that all newspapers have a phraseology that it sounds mad because no normal person writes that, and yeah. when I try to write, I try to write without those newspaper cliches because they 're you know um, uh, you know condemned and um revealed and all this kind of stuff it 's like mm. a lot of times you could just say said. You know, because it's uh, otherwise you're putting a lot of backspin on it. Fury was another one. Mm. Furious, furious, outrages, rats. furies, romps, love rats. Yeah,
2: and so so this is this itself. I mean, um, I do wonder these days where who you know who actually reads the Sun. I was able to answer that question to myself maybe twenty years ago. And it was, you know, when I trained as a, a junior reporter, the, what well, they, you know, the the, the the burnt out hack, who was our lecturer, just, he said, it, it's lads on their lunch break. But I don't think, I don't think that's true. Um, the last time I saw a copy of The Sun, it was on a, a table in the hairdressers uh, and, and that was it. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't know how it makes its money. <clears throat> Um, it seems to be, as you say, this 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 anachronistic thing you know, in a in the 21st century. It's
3: really, really well. I mean, it makes its money through through um, a diversification of things. It does: sun bingo, sun racing, sun bet. You know, like all this kind of stuff. Uh, who still reads it? Well, yeah, a lot of. I mean, I would say people who want a paper that's kind of like, it's got the news, but it's kind of, it's it's aggressively entertaining in a sense, right? But I, basically, if you, one way of knowing who, who of, of how the, say the mirror, the sun and the star operate, right, is, is what they say on their front covers. So at the moment, for the past year or so, the sun has been going with 25 pence cheaper than the mirror, right? Yeah. And then the mirror is trying to sort of say, well, we're a kind of, we're, we're we're the kind of thinking person's red top and then the star has gone down this line of it's still as reactionary as it ever was inside but on the front page now it does these funny covers which works quite well for it because people sort of go that's funny so people pay more attention to it when you open it up it's still got page three it's still got all sorts of stuff that's, it's highly reactionary but yeah. yeah that who reads it people who will just pick up a paper that costs less than a quid yeah that's the that's the market now it's like i want something to read and it costs less than a quid and and i don't say that in any kind of um sneering way uh, but the thing that bothers me in some ways as well is that the sun used to have more craft to its to how it was made it you, like one of the things the sun was obviously very renowned for was these fun funny or f- funnish funny-ish seeming headlines or clever headlines They've sort of gone. Most headlines aren't that great in there. It's kind of done by rote. It's like we were saying about these 70s, 60s, 80s references. The headlines sort of feel a bit old and passé. And it's like, you know, you'd find 500 puns on Twitter that about any topic that are better than anything The Sun is putting in there. And one of the reasons is because they don't, you know, they've reduced the number of staff. They, a lot of the most talented people aren't there anymore, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. And it's, um, uh, I, I, I always remember reading Nick Davis saying basically that the, the uh, newspapers are run by accountants now, and you know, yeah, so the the, the most sort of fearsome weapon, um, of the, the kind of the uh, the reactionary uh tabloid right really is, um, the the Daily Mail, um, that seems to i mean that has a far greater ability to set
3: agendas than um uh, than any of the red Tops anymore i would i would argue the Daily Mail uh, is the most powerful paper i think and and one of the reasons is well this, the the daily Mail is good va- if you're someone who would judge their paper by how much you get in it is it a good read in terms of do i get how much volume of material do i get um the daily mail has tons to read in it every day it and the daily mail is is, is appealing to a, to to like a uh middle england type audience you know mm. mostly older uh, late 50s through to 80s you know but it's odd because because it's very salacious in some ways. and often, it's more salacious than the sun. It's obsessed with sex in TV shows, and mm. it's sort of like for people who don't know how to search for porn on the internet. To say, <laughs> Look, here are all these screenshots of like nudity from a TV series. Isn't it appalling? Like, get your magnifying glass out so you can you know count how many nipples are on this screenshot. Like, it, it's it's bizarre, but it's it's. the sun sun isn't very well made anymore it was always evil by the way i don't want people Mm. to think i was saying oh it was great but it used to be well very tightly constructed it's not anymore the daily mail is rigorously tightly constructed like it is a it is a ruthless editorial product because Mm. it just knows what is my its angles it knows an angle every time and it knows how to Um, uh, manipulate the emotions of its readers very effectively and it's why it still sells very well and it's why mail online is the most you know toxically addictive online product yeah and so they have
2: an ability to uh, to speak to target audiences in a way that's generally far more effective than either of our two political parties um, the, and, and communicating a, a very clear, a very narrow message.
3: But one uh, thing I would say, because uh, there was, there's something that you said earlier that we kind of we 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 got off topic with slightly, which is like you said. Well, ha, how how does this? How, why does the BBC keep run to the agenda of these things? It's 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 because we have still got this really weird, old fashioned, I think, system where at the end of every day there's a newspaper review on on BBC News Channel, Sky News um the papers are looked at in newsnight and at the beginning of every day those newspapers are used to fill the editorial you know the the running order of um the today program good morning britain um uh your call on five live lbc so so it is this cycle of things they the papers give sto- you know push stories into the eyes of the broadcasters and then the broadcasters Uh, chew up those stories over the day which then ends up in the papers again so you know you can have stuff banging or running for four five six days in a row because because the broadcast rounds have have created stuff so you know piers morgan exists to feed the papers the papers exist to feed piers morgan same thing with the today program allegedly in a more highbrow manner but I, i don't see it because at least morgan um will put his you know foot on the neck of a politician every now and then <laughs> cool well
2: that's kind of drawing us uh, to the end of um our, 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 of our of our chat i think um, um, thanks so much for coming on uh yeah, and um I, I do i do hope when i'd like to do more of this kind of uh this kind of focus later on so uh, I, I do hope you'll join us again